Alrighty, we are in Revelation. As you notice, there's no PowerPoint. I can't have the excuse of the fact that I was at camp this week. Um, so, I actually, I, I was getting ready to do this, and, and really, we're at the section of Revelation, which doesn't really have a lot of, uh, it doesn't present a lot of opportunity for slides, just because the material's not very... Uh, detailed in terms of its prophecy. We're we're transitioning to the wrap-up. A lot of this is going to be repeat material um, and and with some added details. So we are in um, chapter 18. I will be doing this sans eyeglasses today. Revelation 18. Beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. He cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, she is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, or else you'll share in her sins, and you'll receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she has rendered to you. Repay her double according to your works, and the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow. I will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord who judges her. The kings of the earth who commit fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament her when they see the smoke of her burning and stand at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, no one buys their merchandise anymore, merchandise in gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple silk, scarlet, every kind of wood and every kind of object of ivory, precious wood, bronze, iron, marble and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil, and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and bodies, uh, the slaves and souls of men, uh, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. All the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who, uh, who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in each hour, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. The shipmaster who traveled by ships and sailors and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, the great city, in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she's made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you upon her. 
The mighty angel took up the stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, With this violence the great city Babylon will be thrown down and will not be found anymore. The sound of harpists and musicians and flutes and trumpeters will not be heard in you anymore. A craftsman of any craft will be found in you anymore. The sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore, and the light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For the merchant were the great men of earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived, and in her was found all the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. We have enough elements here, don't we, to, to identify, and we just see this as a continuation of, of the last several chapters. This is the final verdict. Um, the identity, you see terms in here that clearly identify this as a religious entity. What, what terms in here? lead us to the, to the fact that this is a religious thing, whatever it is. We have a lot of secular references, right? all the merchants and things like that, but there are a couple of references to... Um, I think probably foremost is verse 23. Um, you see a number of religious references. What are the religious references here? Okay, a city set on a hill, a light unto your feet. Like all, all those are things that have to do with, with, with God's people, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. One here specifically refers to the New Testament. Bride and the bridegroom, exactly. So he says, he says the, the voice of the bride and the bridegroom are not going to be heard in you anymore. Right? We ended last week with this warning. Come out of her, my people. Right? That, that God still says, you know, there, there can be people who come to, to, to know God even in the midst of, of someone that teaches something incorrectly. Right. But he's saying there's going to come a time where that's impossible because she's not going to exist. Right? There's not even going to be that opportunity. So, so I, I think, if I'm guessing, this is something that we haven't encountered yet. And I think we're at a point... It still exists. Yes, exactly, exactly. This chapter says it will be completely destroyed. Right, it, it, it's... And we're and, and it's going to be something that we go. Wow! I never saw that coming. <laughs> like I didn't think that would happen. Right? The last the last week or so, we we talked about it being divided. I think maybe the the time before we talked about it being divided into three parts. And and again, we have to conjecture what that could be. Uh, you know, at, at the best, or just kind of say <laughs> hands off until that happens, and then I'll notice what it is. But we can certainly see divisions within this thing, uh, if that's what we're talking about. So, so it's clearly talking about um, a, uh, a religious entity. There's one more. He talks about how the sound of harpists and flutists and trumpeters will not be heard in you anymore. Uh, the, the reference to worship is, is 
in here that there's going to be no more. It's going to be over, and that's going to be done. Uh, the, the idea as a, a worshiping entity, it's, it's not going to exist anymore. So, um, so we move on. We have a lot of references that I, I don't know as though they all have a specific... Like if we were going to go through all those uh, different uh, types of wood and everything, I don't think that each one is a symbol of something that would, it would like... What? Okay, so uh, this kind of wood is, is a symbol of this. And there are people that want to do that. I don't think that this works like that. We'll get to that in a second. But um, it's important, I think, for us to look at a couple things. He talks about the mill. Um, what is a mill to them? Okay, you grind grain. Who ground grain? What's that? Okay, if you were rich enough to own animals and livestock, then, then you did that. Who did it if you didn't? Hmm? Peasants? Okay, what slaves? You get really specific. Samson okay. did. Matthew 24. Who does it? Two women. That was a woman's job. That was hard work for those who want. It's like, that's hard work. All right. Um, and so I, 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 don't, I don't know that that has significance, but that was interesting. I saw one that this was typically women's work in that day, right? Uh, so would you, uh, I, I don't know what the references are. If we're, if we're speaking about Catholicism, I, I don't know. Is he talking about convents? I, like, I know that Katie works for a nun, right? And um, like, they're disappearing, Right? I mean, monasteries are long gone. There's still convents, but they're disappearing. It's drying up. And it, it, they, they don't pay her hardly anything. It, it's sad to see what, how, how she's treated, you know. Um, but it's, the money's drying up. There's not a lot of money. This is one of the things that's happening within Catholicism, and one of the things that's driving... <coughs> Um, some of the, the moves that happen is they're, re, they're attempting to rebrand right? because of the money. Lawsuits are expensive. Lawsuits are expensive, that's right. Um, and uh, have, they have a smaller and a smaller base to work from. It's harder to support all that. So they're rebranding, and a lot of what they're doing is rebranding for <clears throat> to appeal to millennials and younger people. So their political views are going to mirror the political views of those generations, the younger generations. So that's what you're seeing happen. Because they're desperately trying to hold on. The Bible says it's not going to work. Long term, it's not. That's not a viable operation. It never is. Right? Whenever we try to rebrand to hold on to something. It never works. Better to stick to what God wants than to cease existing. To me, I see that 
Vatican. Right. It's not just the Vatican. Right. Notre Dame yeah. has unbelievable treasures yeah. in their floors. That's why it was such a <coughs> when it caught fire. Yeah. Right. So each of them have it. Yeah. The peasants down the nuns area. Yeah. They're the ones that don't have it. Right. Yeah. You've got to support, you got to, it, and there's no difference between that, like going back to when we were first talking about, you know, the extravagance of the emperors and the upper class, it was no different, right, and that's, that's how, that's how empires fall, it's rebellion from, from people underneath, the French Revolution, all of that, it goes on and on and on, and people are going to, we're tired of it, so, um, so there's this, uh, Really, to me, we do need to look at the fact that a lot of this is symbolic and not literal. It's not going to be literally destroyed in one hour. Like, <clears throat> wow, it was 11 o'clock and the Catholic Church existed and it's 12 now and it doesn't. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. Um, it's not literally going to be thrown into the sea. You know, people talk about California falling off. Please. But... Um, that's not going to happen. Uh, it will probably not literally be burned, although <laughs> Notre Dame kind of, maybe. <laughs> uh, that would be a lot of simultaneous fires. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to happen. <clears throat> but we do have, an, really, in, in a broad sense, we have an accurate portrayal. <coughs> Excuse me. I do not know what's going on this morning. Uh, an accurate, accurate portrayal of Catholic conquest. Someone read verse 17. So I'm, my throat's running out. <coughs> I just want to yeah. About the whole hour thing. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, there's, there's, whenever we talk about prophecy and things like that, like we've been saying this whole time, you know, it's, it's either an exaggeration or a metaphor for something. Right. Like an hour likely is just mean it's going to be a fast. Right. It's not going to be a slow crumbling. Because then you read in verse 21 where it says, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a millstone, threw it into the sea. With such violence, the city of Babylon will be thrown out. Meaning that right. it's going to be a big old crash. It's not yeah. going to happen slowly over time. Yeah, you're not going to wait. We were talking the other day, um, just completely something aside. And uh, I, I forget what we were talking about. And I didn't forget even where I was. But we were talking about Yahoo Messenger. What happened to Yahoo Messenger? You remember Yahoo Messenger? My, my, my brother met his wife. They live in Japan now on Yahoo Messenger. Whatever happened to that? It went out of business in 2018. <clears throat> Did you know that? I remember it like in, like, uh, uh, like, I remember that in 2005 and 6 and 7. 2018, I don't remember it. It just kind of faded. And then it just like cut it off, right? Because there was no one in there. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be something quick that you notice God did it. Uh, there's <clears throat> verse 17. Someone could read that for me. In one hour such great things <coughs> brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors, and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. Okay. And then there's that long list of Supplies. 
That's what the world was trading for in the Renaissance. All those things, cinnamon, <clears throat> and, and all these things like, wow, trade with China, the new worlds, right? The Caribbean and all that. That was, that was opportunity. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. That is the most significant thing here to me. <clears throat> but verse 12 and 13 describe all those products. And uh, that's what those products were, I mean, sought after by Catholicism. Uh, Pope Borgia was a Spanish pope. He's the only Spanish pope, to my knowledge, uh, in the history of the Catholic Church. Extremely corrupt. Probably murdered his own son. Uh, did a lot of other things that were really gross uh, that we can't even mention on a Sunday morning. Um, <clears throat> but he's the pope that was in power uh, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Who did... Pope Borgia give the right over all new worlds to? Spain. No conflict of interest there. Right. <clears throat> so, I uh, remember Columbus was from Portugal. Portugal said no. So, <clears throat> he went to the Pope. And the Pope kind of gave it to Spain. <clears throat> and that was how he was financed. Uh, so, so there's, there's, that was going on. They really, uh, the, um, of course, the North was already entrenched by uh, Protestant groups, which we're going to get to in a second. But, but the Southern part really was um, is where you see the Catholic influence in Florida, and Louisiana. In fact, in Louisiana, if you, I don't know if anybody's ever been to Louisiana. What did anybody know what a county in 49 states, a small section of your state is called a county. Do you know what they're called in Louisiana? A parish. That's how Catholic they are. Okay? Right? So your southern part is really is very is where you have more Catholicism in the United States. Um, so uh, I want to get to this one verse that you mentioned in verse 13. <clears throat> the last thing he says in this long list of things is the slaves which are the souls of men. In 1452, back up 50 years, begins a series of what, the, what are called papal bulls. Those are directives, <clears throat> allowances, orders, whatever, decrees. It's like papal law. And this one is called Dum Diversus. And I'm just going to read some direct quotes, just some quotes from this papal bull. It gave them the right to, quote, invade, capture, vanquish, and subdue all Saracens. Those are the Muslims, um, pagans, and other enemies of Christ. 
I'm going to say that again. To invade, to capture, to vanquish, and subdue. And, quote, to put them in perpetual slavery and take away all possessions and property. 1452. In 1454, <clears throat> a papal bull called Romanus Pontifex kind of confirmed all this. It also allowed seizure of any lands not owned by a Christian. That kind of sounds like what the Muslims had done. We're going to take your property if you don't convert. I'm saying the Catholic Church was doing this. I'm not saying Catholics were doing this. So when you said Christian... Catholic. Catholic. Correct. Not Correct. Protestant. Right. We're, remember, we're back in the 1400s. We're, we're back in that era where uh, the... Uh, I forget which one. The Waldenses or Albigenses were completely wiped out for not... for not converting to Catholicism. Right, that's that same that same era. Um, <clears throat> in fourteen ninety three, so one year later, um, this this is what we were referring to. But the bull that Ferdinand and Isabella granted were granted was the inter Sayatera. I don't do Latin, so I don't know what any of this means. Uh, but they were given full jurisdictions over all the Americas except for Brazil. Of course, that was a formality since a lot of it was already, uh, it's not really known widely, but um, the, United, the northern part of, <clears throat> part of the United States had already been discovered before Columbus so, uh, by a guy by the name of John Cabot. In fact, in Newfoundland, they already had salt packing plants for fish. So that's kind of, that was by the 1480s. So... Um, so that was, they were, we were already kind of entrenched. Um, uh, this is kind of interesting. So, so take what we already know about the geography of it, and what do we see years later? We see a war between who over slavery? North and south. Why the south? Okay, slavery was brought here by Catholicism. The Protestants had fled slavery. So the North wasn't, a, they weren't slave states. They were, they were people who were trying to get away from Catholicism. It is, it is the slavery that was brought by, the, by Catholicism to the United States. In fact, <clears throat> that was introduced... We've heard a lot of talk about the 1619 project and the sketchy history of that. Slavery existed in the United States in the 1500s, not 1619. In this era, in the states of Florida, Louisiana, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri, the largest slave owner was the Catholic Church. It built their buildings. It, their missions were farmed. 
various things like that. All the all that labor was provided by slave labor. And so it grew as a southern thing, entrenched it down there. And this gets molded into the fabric of, of who we are, north and south. And, and that comes to a head, obviously, in the mid-1800s. So <clears throat> we know of the famous Dred Scott situation. What's the Dred Scott case? Does anybody know? Dred Scott was a court case <clears throat> shortly before the Civil War. Um, Dred and Harriet Scott <coughs> had petitioned for freedom. I forget what state they were from, southern state. And they were denied. A guy by the name of Roger Tenney was on the Supreme Court, uh, and he wrote the majority opinion. This is what he wrote among other things. He said, blacks were beings of an inferior order with no rights which the white man was bound to respect. Roger Tenney was the first Catholic appointee to the Supreme Court in the history of the United States. And in 96 AD, Christ says they are human souls. Think about that. Again, I mentioned this in a sermon recently. A lot of people have made excuses for people from the 1800s over this issue, saying, well, they didn't really know. They really didn't have access. They weren't really enlightened like us today. Well, then they should have been reading chapter 18, where Christ says, they're human souls. They have value. They are not intrinsically inferior. If you've got two eyes, you can read that. It was simply convenient not to. That's not prophetic. Right? That, that's just a statement. It's right there, boom. You don't have to know prophecy to see that. It's right there. So, <clears throat> I want to get into chapter 9. Any thoughts on this before we move on? We're going to get into chapter 19 just a little bit. <clears throat> that concludes that cycle. Now we're going to start wrapping up. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've got a half an hour to get that out of my throat. <clears throat> After these things I heard a loud voice. Verse 1 through 10 is what we're going to go through. I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because God has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He's avenged her on the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke arises forever and ever. So we're wrapping up that, and we're going to transition forward. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, 
who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, and those who fear him, small and great. Then I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters, and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write. So God is telling John to write this. Make sure you write this. This is important. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship. He said to me, Do not do that. God is obviously now using an angel. It's not Christ himself. I am your fellow servant and one of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, what does this lead us to? This language. What's the language, Sim? Sound like. Yeah, it does. Now, I, I'm not sure that we're we're at that moment, or this is the preparation for it. Where this is the the rehearsal dinner, or you know, whatever that night. This is, but it, but where our attention is drawn to that moment. Our attention is not drawn to just another series of historical events that are going to unfold on this earth. It, there might be some events. But, but it, our attention is drawn, like we say, every, everything has been drawn to something. Our attention is always drawn to a picture, a horse, or whatever. And our attention is drawn to the marriage supper of the Lamb here. So anything that happens now is with that in view. In verse 7, you read, and his wife yes. made herself, mine says bride. Yes. I prefer that. I do too. That's what the church has always been termed, right. not the wife, yeah. but the bride. I don't know if it's a different word. I saw that, um, and I, I, I was going to look it up. I did not look that up. I wanted to look up that word, but it's interesting. Yes, yeah, the bride. It, it, the wife is after they're married, right? It's, it, it's the bride. We're kind of married, if you want to think of it that way, but there's, again, we get into the culture difference where a betrothed, it, it, there's a different viewpoint from us. We, we like put the engagement on, but you can break the engagement. They couldn't. You were legally married. You just hadn't come together yet. You just weren't living under the same roof. Just a second. So, so there's that difference between the way we look at a marriage and the way they did. They're, they're, they look at a, a wife and a bride slightly different. The, the ceremony hasn't happened, but you're legally bound. So in a way... That is right. We are a wife, betrothed, legally bound. Just we haven't met physically yet. Like that, that's the difference. So, yeah. Well, I was going to say the story when Jesus was born and Joseph was intending to divorce her. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's the perfect illustration. It's like, should I put her away? Shouldn't I? Like, he was going to have to go through a process of divorce at that point. That's a really good illustration. Um, 
And so, heaven anticipates justice for the crimes against humanity. We saw that a lot in the last chapter. You, you did that, we're going to pour out double. Right? Um, I've mentioned this before, but that is the subject of the Divine Comedy by Dante. Among other evils that were happening, um, the various popes were the subject of the inferno. They were going to be subject to all, and there was these levels of the inferno, the hotter it got, and like the, the popes, some of the popes were like at the center of this, like where it was the hottest, you know, and that's, this is Dante's source material, was Revelation. Uh, so, we come to Christ's final triumph. Um, we have some wrap-up, some some stuff to go through, and we'll, we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks. I want to really end. Remember, just so we're clear on this, Armageddon, quote-unquote, has already happened. That was before. That was not. That was the downfall of the great city. That that original process that starts <clears throat> with the French Revolution and and going in through through the the early 19th century through through this. Uh, through the elevation of atheism, that's really that war. And that's what that refers to. As Armageddon is not the end of the earth. There's not going to be much of a battle there. And the armies aren't going to gather together from it because they're not even going to know Christ is coming. Right? It's kind of hard to, to prepare yourself when you don't know when it's coming or where or how. So, so that's not <clears throat> what that's talking about. But I want to get into this one statement that we read. Because I think it's really important. He says that um, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that, you know, in Revelation, that statement, you can skip right over that and not even know you missed it. And that is an important statement. What does it mean? What's a testimony? Okay. Jesus Christ. Okay. So, uh, he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours. In other words, the angel saying that. To hold the testimony, testimony of Jesus was God. Each and every one of us as Christians hold that testimony because we believe as what has been written. Okay. We believe in All right. our faith is based upon the very testimony that Jesus is who he All says right. he is. All right, so, so and, and he's specifically referring to this testimony. Yes. Like, I'm just the messenger. Yep. I've got a message. Open the scrolls here and, and read the scrolls. This is, this, this is from Christ. Believe it. Right. A lot of this stuff, as he's getting ready to wrap up, might be hard to believe. Wow, this is some weird stuff, man. <laughs> well, when he wrote it, Right, right. Yeah, there's very little. There's some landmarks. There's some five have been. Oh, okay, okay. Right. Uh, let the reader understand. Okay, so the reader can understand Latinus. He existed a long time before John. Or various things like that, that that were landmarks. Like, okay, we can start from here, but I don't understand most of this, right? Daniel was the same way. Oh, what does this mean? I'm, I'm, he was all distraught. 
And so, um, but testimony has to do with your word in a trial. It's absolute, right? You're giving your word. This is true. So in this case, with reference to Revelation, Christ is lending his testimony to the things that are going to happen. When we started this class, I went through three different interpretations, just briefly. We don't have time to go through all three. Right? We'd have to teach this class three times. Uh, there's a preterist view that says it's all about the fall of Jerusalem. There's a premillennial view that says it's all in the future or starting right now with me. Right? Like the last 2,000 years, people have been missing out, and it's not me. I'm here, so we can start the prophecy. Because uh, I'm important. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, yeah. You have to keep updating. You know, well, it, it didn't happen then; it's happening now. So they were wrong. And uh, and then there's a historical view. I came in contact. I was I went up to camp and I heard a fourth view. And we already covered those ones, so I'm not going to cover them now. Uh, the fourth one I've never heard before. It's stranger than all of them. It says maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe. Maybe there are prophecies in the Old Testament that don't happen. And, and, and it, the guy said, and I'm listening, I'm like, my, I, I was dumbfounded. It's just one of those things like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Right? Uh, and he said, well, he tried to point to some prophecies in the Old Testament that hadn't happened. Of course, they all happened. I'm like, they just didn't happen necessarily when Jesus or when God said they were going to happen. Like, uh, well, God, uh, God said Nineveh was going to be destroyed. Jonah went. They repented. He didn't. It's like, so I said, was Nineveh ever destroyed? It just waited 100 years. That's all God did. When God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Hezekiah, well, see, he told Hezekiah, get ready, you're going to die. Okay, well, Hezekiah got 15 more years. I said, did Hezekiah die? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so God wasn't lying. You're going to die. He just, he gave you a little bonus because you repented. And a lot of that is, there's a difference between a, a warning with a desire to repent and a prophecy. Those are not the same thing. A warning with, with the outcome of repentance. If, if God says, listen, you're going to go to hell unless you, unless you repent. I don't go to hell. Well, God was wrong. No, he's, the idea was to get me to, to, to repent. That's not prophecy. There are no prophecies. Isaiah 44 uh, goes through and, and it's, God is saying, listen, is there anyone like me who can predict the future? Go ahead. Right? God stakes his authenticity and his, his genuineness on his ability to forecast future events. That's important. It's his testimony. If God doesn't come through when he says it's going to happen, then he's no bigger than the gods that predict, and he's no bigger than Nostradamus, and he's no bigger than all these others with vague predictions that don't come true. Even one. He's got to be right on. He's got to be spot on because he said so. I'm spot on. Proof me. See if it doesn't happen. And that's been the impressive thing of Revelation, to see how detailed, to the year, to the half a year, when he says it's going to happen, we see the events happen. And to say, 
forget one event somewhere in Micah or whatever, to imagine that an entire book of Revelation, that Christ come down and says, okay, I'm going to start talking to you, then my angels are going to start talking to you. And the angel here says, listen, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's, the, it's what's inside of prophecy. And to make that claim, that this is basically like Isaiah 44, is going to happen. I know it's hard to imagine, John, this is all going to happen. And it doesn't come true. Then what is the spirit of Jesus worth? It's worth nothing. Uh, so when Jesus lends his testimony, we can be sure that all this is going to happen. So we're going to conclude with that.